I am not special. I am not ready. Good morning and welcome to Life Church today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to have you with us. We're starting a brand new series this weekend called I Am Not. And if you have your Bible uh, with you, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, the verses are going to be on the screen. And just kind of a, a side note, uh, some of the thoughts or an inspiration behind this series actually came from a talk by Chuck Swindoll. So if you're a Chuck Swindoll listener, reader, if you don't know who Chuck is, you don't worry about it, but if you do, you may go, hey, so I just want to give some props there, Uh, but we're starting this brand new series, uh, and we're basically going to go through Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4 for the next, this week and the next three weeks, so for four weeks, we're going to do these two chapters, so if you want to, some of you like to kind of know where we're going, you want to do a little Bible study, you want to read, you want to kind of get some in-depth information there, you can do that and uh, follow along. But um, I want to start this message with a, with a story, with telling you an account from my own personal experience that I've never, I've never shared. And uh, I had, Timmy and I had just moved here. We moved here in December uh, of 2002, so eight years ago. And uh, I am a big believer in getting out, being in the community, learning, meeting people, getting to know people. Uh, if you can't tell, I, I typically don't meet a stranger. Uh, very few things like in, interpersonal relationships or people intimidate me. I, I like to speak. I, I, it doesn't matter whether I'm talking to a handful of people or I'm talking to thousands of people. It, it, I'm, I'm, I'm invigorated by that. Uh, I'm very much an extrovert. And, uh, and Tammy and I had moved from a, uh, uh, Oklahoma, from Tulsa. We were on staff at a large church. And uh, in that city, it was the second largest employer in the city. It was in a suburb of Tulsa. Uh, and so there was a lot of employees, a lot of people going on. I was the executive pastor, so I was kind of the, kind of did what Ryan does here. And I kind of uh, was involved in all the inner workings and hirings and firings and different things like that and working with people and this and that. So I, I knew and, and I just, that was just kind of, and I would walk around and get to know people and talk to people and help with this, help with that, just all kinds of cool, all kinds of fun stuff. When we moved here, the church was 100 people, counting everybody, even people that went to Speedway on Sunday. And uh, it was a big change and a big adjustment. It also was a situation, too, where the climate was starkly different than Oklahoma. And uh, so I was getting used to that. Uh, I'd never seen the readout on my dashboard where the outside temperature had actually gone to negative before. I'll never forget that. And, uh, and, and, and then culturally, just completely different, the upper Midwest from more of the south, southwest was completely different. And people are people, and the needs are the same, and that kind of a deal. But how people live life, flesh things out, just, just totally different. And so everything was kind of somewhat new and strange, and in a cool way, it was fun and exciting, but in another way, it was completely scary. And so I found out that the Chamber of Commerce was doing a, their annual Christmas gala event at a local restaurant in town. And so I said, well, hey, you know what? I'm the pastor of the church. This is the best way to do this. I believe you just jump in the pool and start swimming. And uh, I'm going to just meet people, shake hands, be friendly, mix it up, and just kind of go. So I, I signed up to go and went. And I'll never forget that, 
that December evening where I pulled into the parking lot. It was beginning to spit snow. It was, kind of, it was, it was cold. It was freezing to me. It was probably 35. So now I would have said, ah, it's kind of a cool night, right? But at that time, I was like, parka, layers, you know, thermal underwear underneath, you know, the whole deal. I felt like I was going to scale the Himalayas. And so I go in and get my name badge, and I walk in, and I'm immediately confronted with the fact that I am, I know no one in their place, which is a new deal for me. And uh, nobody talks the same way that I talk. And I don't, I'm not quite as refined then as I am now. <laughs> and I know some of you just think, he's probably from Racine County or something, just a little bit south of Milwaukee. But back then, I was like, hey, how y'all doing? Everybody doing good? Hey, won't you pass me that over there? Are we going to have some fixings with that? Hey, right, where's the sweet tea? I mean, that's it. So I, I, it was a completely different. And so I walked in, and I walked in, and, the, and the, the way that this was laid out, the first place was the bar, and it seemed like everybody knew everybody. And I was completely intimidated, but I was just smiling and just thought, okay, don't say a whole lot, because as long as you don't talk, they don't know that you're not from here. And have you ever noticed something about, about Wisconsin especially, uh, is that people that are living here were raised here by and large. There's not, we, it's, it's pretty much, I mean, it's, so everybody knows everybody. Everybody has these deep connections, and they've known this person since the first grade, or, or they went to college with, I mean, it's just this very tight-knit and large families, and everybody's kind of in, and so I am definitely the odd man out, and, and I walked into the restaurant area only to be more and more and more anxiety fills me, and so I thought, well, I'm just going to go to the bathroom for a second. That, well, I'll stall, right? And I'm realizing this is really more of a you pick your own sit down. This really isn't like I can just sit at a table and meet eight people, shake their hands, pass out some business cards, do a little bit of quasi-networking, smile, and there's a speaker. This is a complete meet and greet event. I am almost completely fish out of water at this point. I did what I have never done. I was so intimidated by the event, so overwhelmed, that I smiled and I said, I'll be back. And I just slipped out and went and sat in my car for an hour and a half. Because I didn't want to go home and face my wife and say, hey, I, I, you know, I was scared. I was intimidated. I was, I felt like a total failure. And I sat in my car on that cold night, snow's coming down. And I said to God, what have you done? You got the wrong person. I don't know anyone here. I don't have any connections here. They tell me it's going to get 30 or 40 degrees colder than this. I am freezing. I am a fish out of water. And I just walked into a place where I should be just shaking hands, hugging necks, kissing babies, getting to know people. And I feel completely intimidated. I feel completely insecure. I feel completely overwhelmed. You ever felt like that? where you feel like you're doing something that God wants you to do. You feel like that you're where you're supposed to be. You, 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 you feel like that that's, and then you walk into the situation, you're trying to walk it out, and you completely feel like you are drowning in over your head. All you want is the panic button. All you want is to get out. All you want is to, to, to get out of the situation. All you want is just to, and you're just, and, you, and your mind is swirling with, I don't, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not brave enough. I, 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 you got the wrong person God I don't know what's going on I've I, maybe I've made a mistake what what's happening because again in my world I pretty much I had not faced that type of just I don't know anybody 
I'm, I, I don't know anything. I don't have any connections. And um, if you've ever felt like you're not good enough or you're not smart enough or you're not brave enough, I think sometimes when we feel that, it actually tries to keep us, pre- to prevent us from doing the great thing that God has for us to do. And if you've ever felt that, that's what we're going to talk about in this series. Now, if you've never felt intimidated, you've never felt like you can't do something, you've never felt like you were in over your head, you never felt like God was asking more of you than what you could do, you never, whether it's a personal walk that you have, whether it's something that God's called you to accomplish, whether it's just life, life's always been a mountaintop, probably the next four weeks, it's not really going to mean much to you. But if you've ever felt like, I can't live this Christian life, I'm intimidated by walking into that church, I know no one. God's asked me to do something, and I'm completely terrifies me to my core. I'm way competent over here, God. If you let me go over here, I could do this. But over here, I'm 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 fish out of water. God, if you would let me go to, I mean, and those are the kind of conversations, you know. God, if you, you know, if you'd keep me in my strengths, like if you'd have sent me to this area of the country or that area of the country, I, I can mix it up, and I know people, and I connect. This is going to help you replace some of those insecurities and begin to walk out with faith. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a person in Scripture who completely exemplifies this. His name is Moses. Now, before you go, oh, Moses, yeah, one of the greatest leaders known to the nation of Israel, one of the greatest men of God. I mean, the Old Testament's filled full of his exploits and how he took the, the, the nation of Israel, these, these, this, these band, this band of three million Hebrews, and he takes them and he leads them out of the most powerful government on the face of the planet at that time and leads them from there to the promised land. That Moses, the Moses that talked to God, that Moses, the, the Moses that had the Ten Commandments, the, the Moses, I mean, we have this, this let my people go kind of a deal. That powerful individual? Yeah, but the problem is, is that you and I have the benefit of reading the end of the story and knowing how it ends. But we're going to look at it before he has no clue. We're going to find Moses at a point where, quite frankly, he is insecure. He is inept. He is inadequate. He is at the end of himself. And God begins to ask him to do something. And Moses' number one excuse is, I am not. And today we're going to talk about I am not secure. And I want to begin this today with, with this first statement that's in your notes on the back side of your bulletin. One day. One day. Real simple, it'll make sense in a minute. One day. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 1, we began reading. Now Moses was tending the flock of, his, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he came to lead the flock to the far, far side of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now quite frankly, when we're reading that, it's probably somewhere in January of our one-year Bible reading plan. And we're doing pretty good. And we're just trying to get through. And we're just kind of going through it. Or we've got to read it for a lesson or for a Bible study. And the reality is we're just getting through it. And we just blaze right through verse 1. Because it's like, well, okay, this is some background information. But what this gives us is a picture of where Moses is at. You have this guy who is basically trading days for dollars. He, he basically is in a dead-end job working for his father-in-law. 
And uh, he's doing something that he never thought he would do. He's, he's got a wife. He's got kids. He doesn't even own the sheep that he's taking care of. He's simply, he's like a, a sharecropper. He's simply just working for another individual. He doesn't own the company. He has no profit shared in the company. He's showing up. He's doing his job. It's a nasty, dirty job. And he doesn't want to do it, but he has to do it because he has to pay the bills, because he has to put food on the table, diapers on the kids, get them through school. They need new lunch boxes, and they need money for soccer, and they need money for ballet, and they need money for this. And the minivan's broken down, and the furnace is broken in the house. And so he's just simply out doing a life. And he's been doing this, historians tell us, for some 40 years. He is in a dead-end, nowhere job, and he's out on an average, ordinary day doing his life. And on one day, things all happen. There's a statement I want to give you. And that's this. God speaks to ordinary people on ordinary days. God speaks to ordinary people on ordinary days. We sometimes are so caught up as humans with sensationalist type of activities. It's, it's kind of a wow moment. Like, you know, if, if there's a certain configuration in the clouds or, or there's a certain thing and we're looking for this and we're looking for that. And sometimes we, if we're not careful, we'll think there's a devil behind every bush and an angel around every corner. And we have this whole almost superstitious type of a feel. But, but that's not the way it works in Scripture. It's not the way God works. The Bible even says that when, when, when Jesus Christ comes, the second coming, book of Matthew, when it says that he comes, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. People will be living and dying, marrying and burying, business transactions, going down 45, going north on 43, trying to meet a client for lunch, trying to get to the office, trying to pick up a sick kid and get the sitter at work. Life will be happening in the middle of all that. On one ordinary day, life will change. That's the way it always works. We think... There's these supernatural events. We think there's these supernatural moments. We think it's like, oh, and the clouds open up and the angels begin to sing and it's all this, and, and we, we get these, we, you know, we get chicken skin and, and we all kind of get excited and it's, no, 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 no. It's when you're trading dollars for days in a dead-end job in the middle of the desert, tending somebody else's smelly sheep, just trying to pay the bills on an ordinary day that God begins to speak. For 40 years, Moses has been doing this. For 40 years, God hasn't spoken to him. For 40 years, he's been on a dead-end job. For 40 years, he feels like he's nobody. For 40 years, he's been coming to the end of himself. For 40 years, he's been doing something that he was so, so far above. Because his history tells us that he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. And we know because of Western civilization and all the historians, we understand that Egypt was one of the most premier civilizations and governments on the face of the planet. They had figured out things in their city like how to take um, uh, water ducts and, be, and, and, and do indoor plumbing and, and, and how, how to create certain, certain architectural features that would actually create air conditioning and that dry, arid climate. These were people that, that were very advanced and that got things and they put things together. I mean, you, 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 if you go to Egypt and you see the pyramids, which I know were built on the back of the Israel slaves, but, 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 they, but, but how they did that, we still don't understand all of the, the engineering that went into that. That was the kind of people. Moses was raised in that culture in the king's house. He was educated. He was smart. He was intelligent. He was connected. He wore the best of the best, drove the best of the best, was connected. He was not inferior to anybody. And he finds himself some 40 years later working on a dead-end, dirty, nasty job for his father-in-law. But on one day, God shatters the silence. 
Don't ever underestimate the power of one day. Today you got up and you're just doing life, but you don't know what will happen at 4 o'clock today. Today you just got up and you're just doing life tomorrow morning and you've got your coffee in your mug and you're listening to, to Morning Joe on CNBC on your serious satellite radio and you're motoring on your way into work and you're listening to what's happening with the economy and, and Aaron Burnett's telling you how gold is up and how stocks are down and how this is performing and that's performing and boom, in the middle of an ordinary day, God begins to speak. And that one day happens with one bush. One bush. Just write that down. It'll make sense in a minute. One bush. Some of you are like, well, where's he going with this? One bush. Verse 2 and verse 3 says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in the flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but yet it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight and why the bush does not burn up. Now, I want you to catch this. Moses is in the desert. It's hot. I don't know if you've ever been in the desert. Just think, man, like, you know, eastern California, part of the Nevada, you know, uh, uh, Arizona, New Mexico. I mean, it's just hot. It's dry. It's arid. Everything's brittle. And just with that scorching sun, there were times that he had seen, like, just uh, things become so hot, they become combustible. And they just, they burn. There's, there's a flame. So that wasn't what, but what intrigued him, the Bible says, is that it did not consume it. It didn't burn up. It, it didn't consume and, and he's not looking for an angel. He's not looking for a God moment. He's still in a dead-end job. He's still trading do- days for dollars. He's still just doing his life. But he's watching these sheep, and it's kind of a boring job, to, to be quite honest with you. And it's very mundane and very monotonous. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And he sees this bush that is on fire. No big deal. Seen there, been that, got a t-shirt to prove it. But it doesn't burn up. And so he wants to go, why is this not being consumed? So his curiosity gets him. Can I tell you that God does the extraordinary or the extraordinary in our ordinary everyday circumstances? God does the extraordinary or the extraordinary in our, ex- in our everyday ordinary circumstances. God does the extraordinary. God puts his super onto our natural. And all of a sudden, he begins to see this. And this is somewhat of a phenomenon, and it catches his attention. And it makes him, it diverts him away from his regular activities. It diverts him away from his regular things. It, it's, it's uncommon, and, and, but, 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 but I want you to catch this. In the life of a Christ follower, there's no such thing as coincidence. Like in the Cole household, we, there are certain words that we ban and not the words that you're thinking, but, but the word, we do those too, but, but there are certain words that we don't have in our vocabulary. And one of those words is lucky. There is no place for luck in, in, in the life of a child of God because luck basically says it's just, it's just coincidental. It just happened. You got lucky. No, 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 no. The Bible says in Psalms that the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Our steps are directed by God. Either God is in control or he's not. And God doesn't put life on cruise control or autopilot. God's either working things out for our good or he's not. God's either in control or he's not. He's either on the throne or he's not. And and I get the whole idea behind lucky, and I'm not going to correct you if you go, oh, that person's lucky, I get it. But I do understand that does tell me something about you. Either it's just lazy in your vocabulary or you have this ideology that God shows up sometime and not all the time. I believe that the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered of God. And so it doesn't just happen. It's not just coincidence. When something happens in your 
your life. Now, I'm not saying there's a devil behind every bush. I'm not saying there's an angel around every corner. I'm not telling you to read into everything, but I am telling you that there's a thing called divine favor. And the fence post that you got on as a turtle, you didn't get there by yourself. You understand what I'm saying? That business deal didn't just happen by itself. It just didn't happen because you're that good looking and you're that suave. It didn't just happen because you, 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 can, you know how to close the deal. It didn't just happen because of this. There are things that God does. There are things that God allows into our lives, good and bad. Uh, uh, it ranges on the righteous and the unrighteous. Things that happen in our life, but God allows us to go through things. Why? For the perfecting of our faith, the Bible says. For, for the development of who we are because it's in our weakness that his strength is perfected. And I believe that struggle produces strength, but there is no such thing is coincidence in life of a Christ follower, period. You don't just happen to be there. I don't know how that just happened. And when things began to happen in my life and things began to go, it's like, this is very interesting. This is, God's doing something here. Don't, don't, don't overread into it. Just, hmm. You remember Arsenio Hall? Anybody? 1980s? Woo! Here we go. It makes things make you go, hmm. It's just one of those things that make you go, hmm, what's up with this bush? What's going on? Hmm. You didn't think Arsenio Hall was that spiritual, huh? I'm telling you. So, hmm, what, what's, what's, there's no such thing as coincidence. And notice that the bush, we're going to get to it in just a second, it wasn't holy. Verse 5 says the ground was holy. The bush was not holy. The bush was not remarkable. The bush was not different. But what God was doing in the bush was. And when God uses a bush in your life, and I'm using that in kind of a metaphorical phrase, when he uses that in your life, never exalt the bush. Don't worship the bush. (laughs) Don't go dig the bush up and try to put it in your house and go, kids, this is where God is. We do that. God's in that church. No, that's just a building. God's, you know... You know, Pastor Aaron, he's so great, or he's so horrible, or however you feel about me. But, but, but I know I'm just a person. I got feet of clay. And if I haven't offended you yet, just give me a little bit of time. I will. I'm sorry, but I'm a person, just like you. I have good days and bad days. We do this with music. Oh, but that was a song that they sang when I got saved. It's just a bush. It's just a tool. It's just an avenue. There's nothing sacred about the song. It's wonderful. I get it. Right? It takes you back. It's kind of like those air supply. I lost them. Right? Songs that you hear on the radio and go, oh, I remember. Big hair. It's the same stuff. But, but when it comes to church, we make it spiritual. Right? Uh-uh. That's the reason why God, God told Moses, this bush is not holy. The ground's holy, and he'll explain that in a minute, but the bush isn't holy. But never forget that God does the extraordinary in ordinary, everyday circumstances. And this one day, with this one bush, there comes this one response. One response. Exodus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. These are the last two verses we're going to read, and then we're going to land the plane. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. Everybody say when. When. Okay, good. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Verse five, then. Everybody say then. then. He said, do not draw near this place, but take your sandals off your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. 
I'm going to give you something that will, I'm telling you, this is a principle that will work. This dog will hunt, all right? When is always connected to then. When, not W-I-N, but W-H-E-N, is always connected to then. Matter of fact, these two verses are our memory verse for the week. When is always connected to then. When we stop our busy lives, when we stop trying, when we stop running, when we stop all of our spinning wheels and making deals, when we stop, when we slow the RPMs down, and when we look and we listen, then God, God will speak. But then it's not going to happen till when takes place. And can I tell you, contrary to popular opinion, we're not waiting on God. He's here. According to his word, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You did not come to see me. You came to experience God. We're all coming here in the name of Jesus. So he is here. And he, we are not waiting for him to show up. We don't have to get the service worked up for him to show up. I don't have to kick my leg and wave my hand and quiver my voice. My God, somebody call me a taxi. We don't have to get to that point. For that to happen. The choir doesn't have to sing. The Leslie speakers on the, on the, on the Hammond B3. That's where I was raised. It wasn't until that guy kicked in, baby, that you started having some church up in here. You ever been in the church like that? That's where I was raised, sorry. So anyhow, we're not waiting on God. He's waiting on us to stop, to settle, to chill. To max and relax, to quote Billy D. Williams, and just listen. And when we stop running and we begin to rest, and when we stop our trying and we begin to trust, is when God begins to speak. Moses stopped. He stopped his activities, he stopped what was going on, and he began to focus. And when God had his attention, all he did with that bush was to get his attention. Extraordinary in the ordinary. On one average ordinary day, God begins to speak to his life. And verse 4 tells us that Moses' response is, here I am. Can I tell you that it took 40 years of obscurity and silence in God's school of the desert for, no, for Moses to go from being a somebody that he was in Egypt to becoming a nobody in the desert? I mean, Moses thought he was somebody. You have to understand that. Read it. He thought he was it. The two preceding chapters tells us how Moses went from being born to a Hebrew woman and escaping death because of what Pharaoh was doing to kill all the, all the Hebrew men to try to keep the population down. It was a complete genocide. Moses escapes it and, 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 and winds up being cared for by the daughter of Pharaoh at the time, goes in and lives in the king's house and, 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 and was raised, educated, groomed, and everything. And he knew he was not an Egyptian but he was educated with all of these. He was connected. And here's what happened in Moses' life. Moses goes out one day realizing that, you know, that he was uh, not an Egyptian and that his people were being mistreated. And he goes and he sees the plight of his people. And there's something that raises up inside of him that just says, this is not right. This is wrong. Something has to be done. See, that gift is called the gift of leadership. It's a gifting. 
sociologists tell us that only 3% of Americans are naturally born leaders. There's something that God puts in the, side of, in the heart of a leader that just says something should be done and something can be done. And if you ever have that feeling and that inclination, that's not arrogance per se. That's not pride. That's just something inside of you that just goes, we can do this better. This could be done better. This could we do this. This could help a lot of people. We could help challenge us and do this and this and that. And, and, and as long as that's bridled, as long as it's kind of like the centurion in the New Testament that encounters Jesus, Jesus, that he's a man of authority, but he's a man under authority. As long as that is bridled, as long as that is under the submission of the Holy Spirit, as long as that's under God, you put that under God and you submit to authority and you work that out because God always works through authority. It's okay. But that natural inclination was there for Moses. And here's what Moses does. Moses sees this, and here's what he thinks. I'm connected. I've got resources. I've got power. I know, I, know, I know Pharaoh. I grew up with him in the same palace. I'm educated. I know what needs to be done. I see what these people are doing. I, I, I see the, the inequity that's here. I see the injustice that's here. And it was all the things that God was going to use in him to be a great leader. But Moses takes it into his own hands, and he says to himself, I am somebody. I can do this. I can grow this company. I can build this thing. I can build this church. I can do this. And the problem with pride is that I is in the middle of pride. It's all about me. It's all about I, me, and my. And Moses goes out on his big bad self and does what God had placed in his heart, but not the way God wanted to do it. See, we have a way of sometimes feeling and sensing that God wants to do something, and then we go do it our own way. And it gets us into trouble. It's what Abraham did with, 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 with Ishmael. God told Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. His wife, Sarah, is barren, and they're 80 years old, and he's going, this is a stinking joke. There is no way. How can a child be born to an 80-year-old woman? And don't, don't just gloss over that and go, well, that was back then. No, 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 no. She's an 80-year-old woman. It just don't happen. And so Abraham comes up with his own idea. I'm going to go and take uh, this uh, Hagar, this, this, this servant, and I'm going to get permission from my wife. And in order to do this, I'm going to give birth through Hagar, and, and he births in Ishmael. And Ishmael's been a problem for the nation of Israel since, since the daytime began. There's been this enmity between the two of these things. That's part of what we're dealing with in the Middle East today. It's still, it's still the issue between Isaac and the lineage of Isaac and the lineage of Ishmael. And until God comes back and sets it right and puts it in right order that, 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 the, that the blessing goes through Isaac and not through Ishmael, this is going to be in contention. But what happens is we birth these Ishmaels in our life. We, we, we create these problems in our life because we sense something and we see something, but we began to do it in ourselves and not in God. That's the problem. Does that make sense? So all of a sudden Moses does this, and in the process he kills somebody. And he thinks that his people, these three million Hebrews that are, that are being enslaved by the nation of, of, of Egypt, are going to come to his aid and come to his side. And instead, they turn on him because they're scared that they're going to be even, even more harshly treated. So his people have turned his back on him. The, the, the government of Egypt, who he's very well connected with, has to do something about this. So he runs for his life. 
and his tailored garments and in his wonderful Italian leather shoes, he stumbles through the wilderness and to the desert. I know that's a little bit of a nearly inspired version, but you get what I'm saying. He goes from the palace and he's walking his way through this desert and, and he finds Midian and then he, he, he settles and realizes this is the best my life's gonna be. And then, he, and then those, those nice garments wear out and all that wears out. And in the middle of that desert, he ekes out and scratches out the best existence that he can because by the way, that's just you just play the hand that life deals with you. And he's in a dead-end job, trading days for dollars, feeling like he's nothing. And God finally gets him to the point to where he says, here I am. Because 40 years earlier, he would have given God his resume. 40 years earlier, he would have told God, God, I'm your choice servant. I'm the one that can do this. You placed me here and I see this and I, I can connect all the dots for you, God. And I'm educated in the nation of e- Egypt. I, I know how to do this. I have a heart for the people. I am for the people. The people will raise me up and I'll be able to be a great leader and I'll give them. Can I just tell you? God really doesn't stink and care about you and me and what we think we can do. God is not looking for extraordinary people. He's looking for ordinary nobodies who feel like they can't do anything. He's looking for people that will walk into an environment and go, I'm completely inept. I can't do this. He's looking for people that go, who, me? You're talking to me? God's not looking for people that can presidentially walk into a room and put everything together. God's not looking for people who know how to broker all the right deals or spin all the right wheels. God's not, God doesn't care about your money, your status, the, 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 the net worth of your company. God wants to know one thing. Can you just reduce yourself down in the sight of a holy God and go, it's just me, Moses. And God waited 40 years for him to say that. And can I tell you, if it takes 40 years for you to come to that place where you don't think you're anybody and nobody, and you lose that somebody resume building personality that you have, God will give you 40 years. Because the Bible says that time is not the same way with God as it is with us. He's got all the time in the world. In verse 5, when he, got, when he finally comes to that place, it, it says that the place that you're standing is holy ground. Holy means separated. Separated. What, what, what does that mean? God is wanting to, 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 for Moses to understand, listen, the ground that you're, that you're standing on, it's going to separate you from your past, from how good you've been, and also how, what a failure. It's going to separate you from the present. You feel like you're a nobody that can do anything. And it's going to separate you to focus on your future. That's the reason why God made the place holy. It wasn't because God was speaking, because it was an angel of the Lord, God's voice through this, it did this. It was a fact that he wanted to get Moses' attention and say, I am separating you from everything that you've ever known, from everything that you feel now, to a life that you've always dreamt of. And in verse 6, which we haven't gotten there yet, he basically makes this, God, when he introduces himself, he says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And again, when we hear that, we hear it in this deep voice, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And that's not what he means by that. It sounds like the starting lineup for the Yankees. I mean, it sounds like these are just mega hitters, bazillionaires, and these guys are, no, 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 no. Abraham was a habitual liar. And if you think, oh, say it's not so... Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. You, you, so. I get it. God used him greatly. But read scripture. He was scared spitless, and he lied every time he had a chance to cover his own hide. He lied to different governments. This isn't my wife. Yeah, she's beautiful. It's my sister. This is like a Saturday Night Live sketch. You know what I'm talking about? And Isaac? With a silver spoon in his mouth? And Jacob, 
His name means conniver in the original Hebrew. And it wasn't until he had an experience with God that God changed his name to Israel and exalted him. And what God's saying to, to, to Moses is, hey, these were just ordinary, everyday nobodies that I did extraordinary things through. And the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is going to be the God of Moses. And Moses, I'm going to put you with these men. Because even though they were flawed men, they were exalted with the Israelites. And so they should be because God did incredible things. And they're honored. So don't, don't take that. But I'm just saying, sometimes we hear that and we go, ha! Ah! And it's not that. It's, I'm going to use them the same way I used you. And just like they were failed men, I'm going to use you. And that day, that one day with that one bush and that one response, Moses learns three, three valuable things. Many times in our efforts to do God's will, we run before we're sent. We feel it. We sense it. It's that leadership. It's that gifting. But we go and do it on our own merit and our own way. And God will, listen, if he has to let you sit for 40 years in the desert to come to the end of yourself, he will. And after we run before we're sent, many times we retreat after we failed. Because when we do it in ourselves, we're always going to fail. I'm telling you, anything that's built on man will fail. It's sinking sand. It's, it, 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 it has no substance. There's no foundation. It will fail. Look, look at history. There is not a single empire that has lasted. They rise and they fall. They come and they go. Because they're mortal, they're flawed. They're just, it just is what it is. Great individuals, incredible people, but they're just people. And then we resist when we're called because we just can't get over the failure. And because we feel like we've tried there and we've been there and we've done that. And I, I, I encounter people that do that with church sometimes. They go, well, I've tried that before. It just didn't. Uh, or, you know, it just, I got burned. Or um, uh, I don't like church people. And um, sometimes I feel like that. I mean, you feel like that. We all feel like that. And we retreat. And we just mark it up. And we settle for a dead-end job that trades days for dollars, eking out an existence because we've got a minivan to pay for and a mortgage to pay for and a furnace that's broken and kids that need soccer. We just do life. When God's just waiting for us to come to the end of ourselves, shred our resumes and all the great things we can do to help you, God, And it all goes back to verse 4 and 5. He's waiting for us to have a win moment. Not W-I-M, but W-H-E-N. And then he'll speak. And I believe that God has a great future and a great experience for all of us. And I don't think that we're waiting on God. I think God's waiting on us. 